Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome in to the Keeper of the Games podcast. We appreciate you being here today. Hope you're having a great week. And know your eyes do not deceive you if you are watching this video back on the CogPod for the first time in what seems like forever. One of the OGs, the original, Weston Mills on the show today. What's up, man? We're so glad you're back on the show. Man, it is good, good to be back. I mean... Boy, we got the Jayhawks playing good basketball, fresh off a Chiefs Super Bowl win. Uh, You know I love the NFL draft. What a great time for me to make my uh, triumphant return to the uh, Keeper of the Games podcast. Yeah, we're glad that you're here. Of course, our, uh, our our notorious host, Blake Cripps, is not with us uh, here this week. He's on the road with the Newman women's basketball team uh, who made an appearance in uh, in the tournament. And so they are uh, on the road doing that. And so Blake is not with us. I'm Tommy Castor, and uh, I'll be your host for the next hour or so here on the podcast. Don't forget that you can listen to the show wherever you find your podcast. You can go to cogsports.com. You can listen on platforms like Apple and and, and uh, Google and you name it, basically Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the keeper of the games right there. And of course, you can always watch our shows on YouTube as well. Weston mentioned some of the things we have coming up here on the show today. We're going to be talking about the Kansas State Wildcats and what things look like for them as we get into the month of March. We're going to talk Wichita State basketball, who took on the number one team in America, the Houston Cougars. We'll get you a recap of that game coming up later in the show. Also a look at the Chiefs and what they might be looking at in the end. NFL draft, the NFL combine is going on this week and get to uh, get Weston's thoughts on the Super Bowl victory for Kansas City a little bit later on in the show. But we're going to kick things off today talking about the K, the KU Jayhawks, the basketball squad. They are the Big 12 champions outright for the 17th time in the 20 years that Bill Self has been head coach at the University of Kansas. They clinched it earlier this week, at least a share of the Big 12 title with the 67-63 victory over the Texas. Tech Red Raiders, and then they were able to clinch it outright when Texas lost on the road at TCU on Wednesday night. So that means the Jayhawks are Big 12 champions. They are more than likely going to be a number one seed, regardless what happens in the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, Weston, I want to get this conversation started first off by talking about the big picture with this Kansas team and the fact that they're more than likely going to be a, a number one seed. They should be a Final Four contender. Heck, they could very well be a national championship contender. That's remarkable considering that they just won a national championship a year ago. From a 30,000-foot view, your overall thoughts on what you've seen from the Jayhawks this year? I mean, and maybe you guys have already touched on this, but I think it cannot be overstated Like what Bill Self has done this year. I mean, it is truly remarkable and and we're gonna eventually in this show talk a little bit about Patrick Mahomes but you know it's like you you hear those Patrick Mahomes stats where you're like it's hard to wrap your brain around the same is we're in this era with Bill Self where what he has done with this program but then particularly this season it's incredible you you lose your uh, top scorer your leading scorer in Ochag Baji you lose your second leading scorer in Christian Brown and 
immediately just slide right in. You lose your, your big man in David McCormick, and uh, Blake's not here, so I'm not even going to touch on David McCormick like I'd like to. But, you know, <laughs> it's a whole new year. We're not getting into that. But, you know, you lose your big man, and that's a traditional real Bill Self likes to play his four out, one in, feed that. So he didn't have the style Ovens he wanted. He lost his top two leading scores, and he won a Big 12 championship again. Again. Toughest strength of schedule on the season. It, it is just so incredible what Bill Self has done. I mean, and at this point, it's like you almost become numb to it, right? I mean, it's uh, we just hear it in year in and year out. But the Big 12 is – I mean, it's also it's the best conference – in all of basketball. And I don't think there any more, there's even question, you know, you used to maybe hear big East, maybe ACC, but I'd say for the last probably five years, I'd say the consensus of, of folks would say it's the big 12. So to win it again, is just incredible. And frankly, I, I this is going to be, and maybe we probably say this every year with tournaments, right? But this year really does feel pretty darn wide open. I feel like in most years there is, Two or three teams, I mean, maybe you think there's going to be chaos because it's March, but there's two or three teams that are pretty darn good, and you really do kind of feel like at least one of the two or three, maybe four, will we'll wind up. Ah, this year, I just don't feel that from anybody, and I think that does bode well for Kansas. Um, it, it's just going to be interesting to see, and uh, as March always is, matchups are so important, and it, it, the – the where best the modern day basketball right of shooting threes or spreading the floor where we're pick and roll space spacing you know fits well with what this kansas team does but the first time they run into someone like zach Eady, which you know probably not running into him until you know final four maybe elite eight probably you know final situation but my example being just a big man how does kansas handle that they've seen flashes of that at times Ernest Dude is coming on. KJ does the best that he can, given, you know, just the, the physical capabilities that he has. But that's going to be the interesting things. Those are the things I'm watching uh, or going to be interested in watching and going into March in the tournament. Yeah, what I think is really remarkable, going back to your point about what Kansas is doing, I had this thought the other day that, you know, it happens every once in a while in college basketball where you have a program that, uh, repeats as national champion. I think the last one to do it was Florida in 2006, 2007, I think, was when they repeated as national champion back-to-back. I mean, it's incredibly difficult to do, and it a lot of times comes down to luck of the draw and how, how you're playing in March and all of that. I would imagine, and I don't know this, I don't have any stats to back it up, but I would suspect that a lot of the teams, and there have been a handful of them in history that have repeated as back-to-back champions, I would suspect a lot of them probably returned quite a bit of production for their second championship from their first one, right? And that's not what we've seen from Kansas at all, to your point. Not only losing Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown and the big man and David McCormick, they had perhaps one of the best players in March Madness last year in Remy Martin that is not on the team anymore. Uh, They they lost bench production with your guy, Mitch Lightfoot, uh, you know, and and, and others like that. So a lot of that production was gone. Jalen Wilson... Uh, of course, has carried over. Dewan Harris, who was a, a bench point guard, uh, has taken over the starting role. Uh, and then you've got a, a transfer in Kevin McCuller, a highly touted freshman in Grady Dick and KJ Adams, what he can do uh, in the post. I know 
he's given up a couple of inches um, on a lot of the competition there in the post. But his agility and his ability to stretch the floor, uh, I think, is what what sets him apart in that role. Um, But them being able to produce at the level that they have with a bunch of new parts, and now we're talking about them as a legitimate championship contender with a nearly completely different team, I think that's pretty unheard of. The fact that it wasn't like they returned a ton of production. I mean, yes, it's it's so true, and it's interesting as you know, like I kind of was, I guess, previewing what I what I think to look at in March. But it's it's just, I mean, it's so crazy to talk about the important parts of this run from, from a number one seed, right? It's not like yeah. Kansas snuck in is sneaking into the tournament or they're a five or a six or a four, whatever, you know, this is, they're going to be a one seed. And now you're talking about, okay, freshman Ernest Uday, he's going to be a key. How can he step up and guard those bigs in the, you know, 10 to 15 minutes he gets to play in those games. You know, how does Jalen Wilson, who was really a third, maybe fourth, option last year how does he really shine in that spotlight i don't think there's a whole lot of question on that but how does he shine in that how does true freshman grady dick you know does he is this going to be his first tournament can he sustain his shooting throughout a run that is needed and not just a hot streak here and there i mean it is it is so incredible you know what they've done with this new squad and how that's going to be approached in March and I've got some stats and I have to give a huge shout out to Adam Sullivan so it's solely 2020 well 20201 on Twitter Uh, he used to do stats for KU um, and he, he doesn't anymore but just now he just gives them to us for free on Twitter but Love that. A couple different things that are going on. Uh, so I wanted to mention this. Bill Self has won 17 Big 12 titles in 20 years at Kansas. So to compare, Mike Krzyzewski won 13 ACC titles in 42 years. Roy Williams won 13 ACC and Big 12 titles in 33 years. Tom Izzo has won the Big 10 10 times in 28 years. It is so insane. And then to to pivot off that, if Bill Self were a university, he'd rank ninth all time in regular season high major (laughs) conference championships. The University of Bill Self. I like that a lot. The University of Bill Self. It is is so credible. And then the final one I have for you, Bill Self's team have been a top four seed in every NCAA tournament since 2001. I I don't even think KU fans can appreciate – that the streak of making the tournament is is one thing, but to be right. a top four seed every year for the last twenty two years, that is yeah, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and we could, we could sit here and talk for the next yeah, probably two hours about all of the the greatness of Bill Self, right, and just what he's been able to do, um, and how he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of college basketball coaches. He's a Hall of Famer through and through. And I think that with the second national championship uh, almost a year ago, I think that solidifies himself as one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest to ever do it. And I think a third would be even more incredible. The other thing to keep in mind that I I saw, and I might've actually, I might've actually seen this from Adam Sullivan. uh, (laughs) Now that you mention him, that there are 10, potentially 10 games left for Kansas this season. I don't know if you saw this one, Uh potentially 10 games left. If they win, the national championship, they will play 10 more games from here on out. Bill Self is 10 games behind Fog Allen 
as the all-time winningest coach at the University of Kansas. So how storybook would that be if he wins a third national championship and that national championship win passes him, has him pass Fog Allen for all-time wins at Kansas? I would think at that point, I mean, you, you might be looking at a Bill self-retirement. Like, why would you want to go and do any more <laughs> at that point? I mean, who knows if that would happen or not, but just what he's been able to do is remarkable that um, they're going to put a statue up uh, for him. No doubt about it. But, you know, I got to wonder, you talked a little bit about the, I guess, Achilles heel. Like the one thing that might trip up this team uh, is the the play. If they encounter a physical big or a team that has physical bigs, uh, that's really when they struggled the most this season against Tennessee early on, when they were just getting beat up down low by the big physical presence that Tennessee brought. I think that they found ways to compensate for that. Uh, Kevin McCuller has upped his game defensively. They'll, you know, they usually help Ke- have Kevin McCuller help off his man and help down low quite a bit. They do that uh, to kind of compensate. So I think that they found ways to work on that. But I wonder, one of the more um, recent issues that that really when Kansas was in that funk during Big 12 conference play was they were relying, I thought, far too much on Jalen Wilson. I mean, there was the the game that they lost to TCU by like 20 points. He had Jalen Wilson had 30 and nobody else had anywhere close to double figures on on the team. So I I know that in recent games, they found other contributors, whether it's been Grady Dick or Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris has been more assertive offensively. But do you have any concerns about what happens if this team gets too heavily reliant on Jalen Wilson in the tournament? Uh, yeah, I mean, and really, if you watched over the last few games, I, I, I almost think that might have been a point of emphasis with Bill because, it, you know, Jalen hasn't been scoring the way he was at the beginning of conference play. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's a product of him just wearing out a little bit. Bill saying, hey, we've got to get other guys involved. Uh, Jalen, I know you can do this, but we're going to need it from elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely, especially... Because really you're looking at a guy like, you know, when it comes to scoring, you're looking at a guy like Grady Dick, right? Like that he, he's kind of been the number two scorer all year. He's been hot at times. He's been ice cold from the three-point line at times. And, and frankly, that, I mean, you know, you can't – consistency is the key to getting through an entire March Madness. Um, so certainly if, the, if a team wants to take away Jalen, you have to have Grady Dick shooting or – Kevin McCuller being more assertive, and and not that he hasn't been, but I think that should be an emphasis if a team is focusing on Jalen Wilson, throwing one, two, you know, bodies, three bodies at him at times. McCuller's got to probably be that guy to, to bring that because his style of play can be done at a much more consistent level than Grady Dick. I mean, you know, the best three point shooters in the world. I mean, you know, thirty, you know, thirty five, forty percent. And that's a really good three-point shooter, right? So you're still missing, and you, you're going to go cold and hot throughout there. So, yeah, I think that's certainly a concern. Um, you know, I do like – I kind of like – I think another key catalyst, right, is, is obviously uh, Dewan Harris. I mean, he makes yeah. the offense go. I think he's a guy that you really do trust as far as, you know, being able to kind of be that engine and, and fabricate some offense, if you will, if, if it's just not – Jalen Wilson's day I, I and frankly I love the way he's been shooting the ball I mean it's not I don't think anybody watches his shot and think man he's the love love him shooting yeah but he's getting it done enough that either teams are going to have to stop leaving him wide open because it's he's being effective at that point or they're just going to have to start just 
guarding him at a normal level, which is going to open up things for other guys. So uh, I think it's interesting. I really think someone that you're going to see really be a key to this tournament, though, is, is Ernest Uday. Uh, I really – I mean, the way he's really asserted himself, he's very, very good in the pick and roll. I think that's huge in March, especially if you're wanting to get a, another team's big in foul trouble, make him go guard the pick and roll. KJ can can kind of step out and make a big try to guard him out, out there as well, and I think that potentially could be effective. And, and KJ finishes well, but when you're talking about some of the, the best bigs, right, It's even if KJ gets a step or two around them, it's still going to be difficult, to, I think, just the way he plays for him to score at the rim on those bigger elite big men but i think the more effective way is make that big make that you know uh i keep saying zach edie obviously that would be towards the end but zach edie a, a guy like that um, i and i'm trying to blank on the tcu guy's name i don't know why i can't think of him lampkin uh eddie lampkin <laughs> eddie the lampkin. guy from tcu make yeah. him yeah. step out to the three-point line and guard a pick right. and roll you're potentially either going to win you're going to have an opportunity to, to get to the lane or potentially put him in a chance where he's probably got to foul somebody. So I think, I think DeWan can really help in that situation. I think Ernest Uday and his role can really help in that thing. But I, I really think the second consistency that you have to have is Kevin McCuller, because I just think the nature of Grady Dick, there's just going to be a half where Grady Dick goes over four and he's, they're not going to tell him to stop shooting. So you hope in the second half right. it's better, but I think you need that second consistent score uh, next to Jalen Wilson. And I think that's got to be Kevin McCuller. Well, and that was kind of Grady Dick on, on senior night uh, against yeah. Texas Tech. He did not shoot the ball well, finished with four points, which he had had a pretty consistent streak of double figures for a while. Uh, couldn't get it done on Tuesday, but the Jayhawks were still able to find a way to win. Dewan Harris, by the way, is uh when he scores in double figures, the Jayhawks are undefeated. So I think that that speaks to the the, yeah. the point that you were talking about, how he kind of is the engine that drives the offense for sure. So we'll see how things pan out for the University of Kansas. Looks like they are well on their way to another number one seed in the NCAA tournament. They are on the road in Austin taking on Texas on Saturday, of course. As I mentioned before, the Longhorns lost to TCU on Wednesday, which means this game has more motivation really for Texas than it does for Kansas because the Longhorns can't win the Big 12 uh, title anymore, but they can finish in second place uh, with the win at home on their senior night. Going to be at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. tip, and you can watch it on ESPN, and then we'll get into March Madness, the Big 12 tournament, the Big Dance, all of that on a future episode of the CogPod. Let's move on about an hour down the road from Lawrence to Manhattan where uh, expectations have been absolutely shattered all season long with this Kansas State Wildcats squad. Uh, I'll tell you right now, Weston, and I, I, I would I'd love to know your thoughts on this Wildcats squad. Uh, Blake and I have been talking about him for a while, and I got to be honest, I'm, I'm a KU guy, I'm a KU fan, well-documented, but I love Jerome Tang. I love this guy. I love what he's done for this program, the energy, the enthusiasm, the, the kind of character guy he is, and he's just a hell of a basketball coach. The Wildcats, they have an opportunity to finish second in the Big 12 with the win on the road at West Virginia on Saturday. They demolished Oklahoma earlier this week at home on their senior night, of course, with their seniors Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, uh, and others. And Johnson and Noel are all Americans. This team is playing at a really high level. And man, they were picked last in the Big 12 in the preseason rankings. Dead last. 
and they've got a ch- chance to finish in second place. I think that speaks very much to your point of, of what a coach Jerome Tang is. Not only just what a coach he is, but a recruiter, right? Because he brought, yeah. in, he brought in guys, one, to get guys to come in and then bring in guys that, you know, other folks weren't seeing the, the type of value in them that they turned out to be. I mean, Keontae Johnson and uh, uh, Marquise Noel, I mean, been fantastic all year. I think, I'm telling you, the way they are, are balanced, and with the caveat, caveat as always, that it depends on matchups in March, but the, uh, this to me is a, it's an easy Sweet 16 team. Now, I worry they have letdown spots, right? And that's what you can't have in March. That would be my hesitation to say, hey, this team is an Elite Eight team, or they have the talent. They've got, I mean, exactly to your point, heck of a job by Jerome Tang for one, coaching these boys up, and then two, just finding these guys to bring in and say, these are Big 12 basketball players. Not only are they Big 12 basketball players, they're very good Big 12 basketball yeah. players. So, I mean, I They're all Americans. Yeah. Keontae I, Johnson and Marquise Noel are all Americans. Yeah. I mean, I am just blown, blown away by uh, what Drum Tang has done. And I, sorry, K-State fans, I can't not say this. Boy, he's almost done such a good job. You, you worry as a K-State fan, right? Like, does he stick around after this? I mean, Manhattan's a great place, and you really the way you want to build it up, right, is someone to be there for a couple of years where they feel like it's that special place. Boy, when you have that one-year blow-up like Jerome Tang has, I don't know that he's necessarily had that time to really build that deep, deep bond with K-State where you might stay even though you have an offer from a – Again, we people keep saying it, right? The Texas that's looming yeah. out there. Um, but nonetheless, if it, even if something were like that to happen, gosh, as a K-State fan, you've got to be excited where this program's at because even if it was another coach, and I, I shouldn't even be talking about this hypothetical because that's probably not fair to this season, but the way they put themselves now, they're winners, and it's always easier to bring players in when you're coming from a winning program, and that's what they're doing right now. So, I mean, boy – what a good job by him. And um, I'm only going to mention this because we talked about him so, so much last year on the pod. But our guy, your guy, Bruce. Oh. I mean, it prob- this probably shows a little bit, right? Like, okay, yeah, I think that takes sure. the debate out. Was he doing – Oh, was, yeah. Was Bruce Weber doing a good job or not? I don't – I think it was uh, – clearly not. The fact that Trump well, the only thing – yeah, the only thing Bruce Weber is doing now is calling games on the Big Ten Network and <laughs> apparently doing a terrible job doing it. So uh, out of sight, out of mind, I haven't had to hear his voice for a while. So <laughs> it's fine with me. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here with a question about K-State. Okay. And I don't know I don't know how much K-State basketball you've watched uh, this season or how closely you followed them. But right now, on March 2nd, can this Wildcats team win a national championship. Not will they, but can they win a national championship? I'm going to say no. Okay. I, they, I, I think, I think the pure talent is there for that. I think we have just seen it's the consistency. You have to be so consistent to get through March to get through that entire tournament, to get through two weekends, to get through an Elite Eight, to get through a Final Four. We've seen those letdown spots from Kansas State, and I just I, – I, that's not something that I feel is, is going to be able to be corrected. From a talent perspective, I think it's there. Um, boy, if you could just take this squad, give them another offseason, give them another year, 
you know, then you may be able to correct some of that consistency. And it's not even a, I mean, I don't know that it's a correction thing, I suppose, but that would be my concern that would make me say, I don't think they can get through this tournament. Uh, But from a talent perspective, I think they're darn near as talented as the top 12 teams in the nation. Well, yeah. So the reason that I ask that is because I've looked at a couple of different bracketology experts and a lot of them are projecting Kansas state somewhere around a two seed, like the last two seed. And I, I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times that I'm filling out my bracket and I'm looking at the teams that are in the field and it doesn't seem that far fetched that a two seed can win a national championship. Uh, and, And so when you put in it, put it in that context, if they end up as a two seed, okay, it's like, okay, I mean, like, well, I we've seen two seeds win the national championship before. Yeah. It happens all the time. Uh, you know, so that's something to keep in mind. And then also the other reason why I wonder about that is when you take a look at the net rankings, you take a look at the quad one wins that the top teams in America have. We know about Kansas, right? They have, what, like 14 quad one wins. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous the high quality of talent that they've beaten this entire season. Kansas State has nine quad one wins. The number one team in America right now, the Houston Cougars, who we will talk about a little bit later on in the show, they have four. They have four quad one wins, and they're the number one team in America. Uh, Let's see, who else? Tennessee, they're number three in the net. They have seven. UCLA is number four in the net. They have six. Uh, And then you go on from there. It goes further down. Gonzaga (laughs) is on there. They have five, you know, so Kansas State has nine quad one wins. And so that tells me that they have the ability to beat high level opponents in an opportunity to move on in a tournament situation. Now, can they string a number of them together? I don't know. It's going to be interesting and we'll see if it happens. But the resume tells me, Weston, that with nine quad one wins, They've shown they can beat top-level talent at pretty much any given time. Yeah, and I think that it's a perfect kind of segue with my point because, you know, while you've got your nine quad one wins, you know, you've got a loss at Iowa State. You've got a loss at Texas Tech. You've got a loss at Oklahoma. You've got, you know, they played Wichita State early in the season to five points, and we can kind of get into what that means. If anything, for Wichita State, you got a loss to Butler. So those are the kind of things that make me go – yeah, there's no doubt they've shown they can beat anybody. Uh, I think it means their ceiling is pretty high. Yeah. But but teams don't always play at their, their full ceiling, right? Right. And I think that some of it that comes in it to me is, you know, all season long, all the accolades on, on Keontae Johnson. And by the way, what a story from Keontae Johnson. Yeah. Nearly dying on the court and then being able to play uh, at Kansas State and just be incredible. Um, you know, so him, Marquise Noel – they're great, and and you can rely on them game in and game out. But what happens in a game when they get into foul trouble? Uh, what happens if one of them isn't effective? Are there other consistent production pieces on this team? It's kind of the same situation that we talked about with Kansas, where yeah. they relied too heavily on Jalen Wilson and nobody else was contributing, and it wasn't working. So I think that the Wildcats... They've got to find other places. It doesn't have to be one person specifically. It can be a number of people, whether it's Desi Sills or Naquan Tomlin or, you know, others, but they've got to have other production and other ways to go outside of just Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel over and over and over again. 
And I think Naquan Tomlin, that's the guy. I, I think he's the key to a run for them. And I, I've, I've heard some analysis, you know, and I've, I've watched, I've watched a decent amount of, you know, Kansas State basketball this year. And I've heard several folks suggest that actually Naquan Tomlin might be the um, highest projected NBA player. I can see that actually. Doesn't yeah. always translate with what's going on in college. That doesn't mean he's, you know, obviously better than you know, uh, Keontae Johnson or Marquise Noel, but I think he's that key again. And kind of the style of play he has to me, it's that consistent score that can be because right. you just can't always rely on hot shooting. You know, Marquise Noel can get hot. Uh, and Desi Sills, I mean, you know, can kind of have, have that at times, but to have Keontae Johnson come in, you know what you're getting out of him and he is solid, consistent. You're going to have it to have that second piece of consistency out of potentially Naquan Tomlin. I think that is the key for K-State to make a deep run in the the tournament. Well, of course, the Big 12 tournament is right around the corner for the Wildcats, and they're going to be battling for one of the top seeds in the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. They're on the road in Morgantown on Saturday for their regular season finale. It'll be senior day for the Mountaineers. Tip for that game is at 1 o'clock, and you can watch that on ESPN+. Let's go ahead and transition into Wichita State basketball, uh, Weston. As we're recording the show, actually, uh, right as we were launching the show uh, tonight, the game went final. It was Wichita State's first matchup against a number one opponent since the 1960s. They played Lou Alcindor uh, and the number one team uh, for UCLA. That was the last time that Wichita State played a number one team in America. And they were on the road at Houston tonight, taking on the number one ranked Cougars under Kelvin Sampson. And the Shockers, unfortunately, couldn't get it done. A 17-point loss for the Shockers on the road, 83-66. to And we can talk about this game specifically. Uh, I, I'm sure you've got thoughts on Houston. I know you're not a Houston fan whatsoever. Uh, and they're the number one team in America. But let's start off with just the Shockers as a whole. Right now, they are... Eight and nine in American Conference play. They're uh, they're fifteen and fourteen overall on the season in Isaac Brown's third year on the job. I know that the uh, the fan base for Wichita State, a lot of them are discontented with the state of the program right now, feeling like they're underperforming. Uh, the Shockers are are not playing well at home this season, which is kind of interesting considering how dominant the Roundhouse has been for the last fifteen years or so. But they are playing much better on the road. The game against Houston, notwithstanding. But from what you've been able to tell from your vantage point your perspective where do you think things stand with the shockers right now so i think it's not just wichita state that needs to be evaluating the program and where they want to go and what they want to do i think well of course we know you know the american in and of itself is about to to undergo a big change with the loss of ucf and in houston i think that's obviously I mean, that, that's clearly a big deal for the conference. It's going to become yeah. then harder to recruit players to that conference when it doesn't have the marquee names. It doesn't if it doesn't hold the value that it has in the past. Um, but we're in an era with the transfer portal, right? And I, I think this is key. I mean, obviously, you saw a lot of turnover on this Wichita State basketball team from last year to this year. I don't think this is going to be a Wichita State problem. I think this is going to be a significant mid-major problem, and and particularly mid-majors that aren't at a spot that they're established. And Wichita State is, but I mean 
currently winning because it's so hard it's it's going to be so hard for these mid majors to get out of a spot that they're currently in because if you get a player who comes becomes a standout he's going to have the opportunity to go transfer to a power 5 immediately with no setbacks and I'm, this isn't a this is no speech on whether it should or shouldn't or anything like that but i think that's the lens you need to evaluate how how you're going to move your program forward Personally, I, I think a, a program like Wichita State, long history, guys, you're still going to have that. So you're still going to be able to recruit. What I think you need to look at, and, and I'll be honest, I, I don't – I love that the players love Isaac Brown, but we clearly just kind of have not seen the results. Part of this, I'm. this is part of why I'm giving this speech. I think part of the problem is the transfer portal and just the state of where mid-major basketball is going to be. But on the other hand, I think it's very important to have a coach that not only knows the X's and O's, but can evaluate D2 programs, can can evaluate players at conferences that are, I mean, traditionally lower than, you know, where we're at with the American and that, that sort of stuff and can recruit high school players. But I think recruiting that D2 level is going to be so important for mid majors because you're going to have a ton of kids. Again, it's going to be the same concept at the D2 level. Any kid goes and balls out and is a stud throughout the year. He's now going to be presented with an opportunity to go play Division One basketball, and of course, you can't even. There's no. I mean, there's no way you can blame a kid for wanting to go do that. So I think you have to have a coach that. I mean, it's just going to take a, so much more work for these coaches. I don't envy it for a second to think they have to be recruiting the high school trail, watching game tape on D two kids, watching game tape on, you know, other transfers throughout the uh, just within the other Division One programs, Division One AA, you know, that sort, and then be able to bring it in. So I, I, I kind to think at this point i think it makes sense for wichita state to probably make a change i I think it's always better to get ahead of this type of you know i I truly think you're going to see a shift in coach where recruiting becomes more of a focus than the than the actual x's and o's and not to say like penny hardaway of course that man knows basketball but he was brought to memphis to bring in the guys right like that you look at Deion sanders over at in uh, you know at Colorado now again no doubt Deion Sanders knows football but he can recruit the players and that's what makes it happen so <clears throat> I will say I've got an interesting name for you Tommy that I think okay. I think would be a very interesting hire and I don't know again whether that's whether Wichita State decides to keep you know Isaac Brown another year whether this coach is even available after this year. I think an interesting fit potentially could be Jeff Boshi. He okay. he he put up an incredible record at Missouri Southern. Right. You um, did really well there. He recently moved to. He's now the head coach at Pitt State. The man is local to some degree. I mean, from North Dakota. I think one of the Dakotas. Obviously, you know, legend at Kansas. But now he's recruited at both Missouri Southern and at Pitt State. He's recruiting the local base area, and he absolutely now has an eye for the talent at that Division Two, Division Three, you know, Division One AA level to help you pick those, to be able to hopefully bring in some of the best of the best of those Division Two guys or maybe those guys that are under the radar. Again, 
I, I don't know that you're seeing that leap very often. A program like right. Wichita State, usually they don't, they wouldn't have to go get a D2 coach. So I, I don't, this is not to suggest that Wichita State's at a spot in their program where they'd have to do that. I just think that'd be a very interesting fit. Of course they could go. Well, and, and yeah, I can think of a couple different examples of that happening recently. Like I know that the, the men's game and the women's game is different, but I know the university of Kansas women, they hired Brandon Schneider from Emporia state, uh, Emporia state. Uh, then I also know that the university of Missouri hired central Missouri's coach, a few years ago, Kim Anderson. I don't think that one ended very well, uh, but it, it's not unprecedented. And before uh, any Wichita State fans would say, uh, you can't have Jeff Boshi, he's a KU guy. Remember, Mark Turgeon was a KU guy too. So he coached at Wichita State for seven years. So uh, I've not heard that name before. That's an interesting one to uh, to keep, uh, to keep uh, ears open towards. But I, it's interesting to me, the the contingent of folks that are, so gung-ho on Isaac Brown leaving the university. And the reason, and I'm not, I'm not 100% sitting here saying that he absolutely should be back. And I think that he's the coach to lead them for the next decade, or I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is that for shocker fans, be careful what you wish for, because the grass is not always greener on the other side. And so if you are to make a change and, and Isaac Brown leaves, the university better be sure that whoever they are bringing in is somebody that they feel the utmost confidence can at least bring Wichita State back to at least relative expectations to what the fan base has. Now, I will always argue that the Shocker fan base has completely unrealistic expectations with the way that that program should be performing year in and year out. There was an incredible stretch under Greg Marshall that was like catching lightning in a bottle that probably will never be duplicated again at a school the size of Wichita State. I just don't think it will be. It was lightning in a bottle. I don't know if it'll ever, ever happen again. And I think you have to adjust expectations accordingly. It doesn't mean that they can't be a successful program year in and year out. It doesn't mean that they can't make the NCAA tournament, make a run in the tournament from time to time, win the American, especially after this year with Houston and Cincinnati and all of them leaving the conference. They absolutely should be competing for American uh, championships. There's no doubt about that. But you got to be sure if you're going to make a change that you've got a coach that, to your point, can evaluate and recruit extremely well, that can work the transfer portal extremely well, that is savvy in the NIL world, that they know what they're doing to be able to be the best advocate for their players in NIL. And then, of course, they've got to be a great on-the-court coach. There's no doubt about that. And so that is not an easy task to accomplish I'm not suggesting that they stay complacent and say, oh, well, we can we can never dream bigger. So we have to stick with Isaac Brown forever. I'm just saying you got to kind of be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, and one thing you touched on, I think is going to be very important for them in majors. And that's and that's the NIL and yeah. more in a sense of the ability to keep your top one or two players. I think that's the more important thing than necessarily recruiting because I, I think you potentially get, I, I think of a guy like, you know, Joe Yesifu at, at Kansas where, you know, had he had a, uh, a deal in place at his old school, you know, an NIL deal where he's going to get good money. And then you now in Kansas, probably a bad example because probably everybody's pretty, pretty good at using money, but it's sure. like, you know, you leave Wichita state where you you're the guy and you're getting the NIL money, the top NIL money for Wichita State. If you go and leave for A&M or 
Oklahoma State and you're the eighth guy, maybe seventh guy, like do you right, right. you know is are those opportunities available well, for and you? Look, let's be let's be really really clear that Wichita State, as recently as a year ago, they were behind the curve on yeah. NIL. They did not have their NIL set up. And that was a dereliction of duty, frankly, by the former athletic director, Darren Boatwright, who is no longer with the university for good cause. And, and part of the reason he was pushed out was because he sat on his hands with NIL and didn't do anything to establish it at Wichita State. And you saw top players like Ricky Council and Grant Sherfield and Dexter Dennis and Morris Udeze and, and others leave the program and transfer and go elsewhere because they were able to get, in a lot of cases, NIL dollars at other schools. And look at what Ricky Council is playing incredible basketball this season. Yeah. Grant Sherfield, we watched him with Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma's not a great program this year, but he's he's shooting the ball really well. We, we're seeing guys step up in ways at their new schools, lar- due large in part to the fact that they were able to get NIL dollars. So that being said, and I've been saying this all along, I don't necessarily think that it's quite fair to pin all of this on the shoulders of Isaac Brown and no. have him be the fall guy for it because he's not in charge of NIL. He He's kind of playing the, the cards he was dealt. And the cards he was dealt at the time, there was no NIL, players left, and then he had to go and try to figure out how to put a team together. They are playing better basketball here down the stretch than they did, they did early on, but at the beginning of the season, we had no idea outside of Craig Porter jr. We didn't know anybody on the team. Uh, so I think that in that regard with NIL, I think you can cut him a little bit of slack, man, Tommy, I tell you, it, I, I just feel right here back at home hearing you just, just say Darren bow, right. With that disdain in your oh. voice that a boy, I just, I just, I just feel Glad like I'm that back guy on the pod gone. right back. It's just man. felt right to hear you say that. <laughs> He was a joke. He was a joke of an athletic director. And um, I'm a big, big fan, by the way, of uh, his successor, Kevin Saul, who's doing great things at the university and uh, seems to be a, a great guy. And, and he's he's definitely moving Wichita State Athletics in the right direction uh, with all the things he's doing. But regardless of all of that, you know, I, I think that to your point, uh, the times are changing in college basketball. They have been for a while with the transfer portal and NIL and all of that stuff, right? We all know that. We all know the, the way the world is in college basketball and college athletics as a whole right now. I think for Wichita State, you can look at a program like the one we just talked about, Jerome Tang and Kansas State, as a shining example of going out and evaluating and bringing in talent from the transfer portal and having a significant amount of success. I think what we're going to be seeing from a lot of these programs outside of the consistent winners that we know are going to be there every year, like your KUs and others, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult to see consistency. You're going to see a roller coaster, like depending on who you have, who you're able to bring in with the transfer portal. What is like one year you might be way up and the next year you might be way down and then you might be able to bring in more transfers and it might be better for you. So I think that we got to get used to that a little bit more in college basketball. And so that being said, and, and knowing the way that conference realignment is happening and all of that stuff, I, I understand the emotional pull to want to make a change and move away from Isaac Brown. I get that. I get the frustration from the fan base, but I also understand also dollars and cents that Isaac Brown is owed a buyout of $4 million and the university is already paying out Greg Marshall and Darren Boatwright 
and Eric Wedge from the baseball program, paying all three of them out right now in buyouts. I'm not sure they want to pay out a fourth uh, person with with buyout money right now. So in my mind, I think you give Isaac Brown another year, one more year, and it's not working. There's no buyout anymore, and you can let him go. Uh, so that's what I would do. Um, but who knows? But I do think that the fan base, you got to be willing and able to adjust your expectations based on the landscape of college basketball right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you got to, I mean, I think Shockers fans need to lean on the, the legacy that has been established here. Wichita State has a winning legacy and that's, and that's great. But it, it, but it's exactly your point. It's, it's while you're leaning on that legacy saying we can do it, we can bring the players in with the Wichita State name. It's also having to have a little bit in your mind going just to your point. Look, the, the, the college basketball landscape is different. We may bring in five new players one year to expect those guys to mesh immediately and play good basketball. It's just not realistic. Sometimes you may catch lighting in a bottle. You may get right. five transfers yeah. that look at K State exactly. So no, I think yeah. you're I think you're spot on. And but I, but overall, I still think. Wichita State being built on the foundation that it is puts them in as good or better spot than a lot of the other mid-majors across the board. So I I think it's much worse if you're, you know, (laughs) a UNC Asheville or, you know, I think it's some of the schools like that. As soon as they get talent, those guys are going to leave. Wichita State, not necessarily the case. So I think think there's a lot to still be hopeful about, of course, obviously. Um, And, yeah, well, I think this program will just have to see. And I'm, I'm with you. I think another year of IB wouldn't be any problem. And, uh, just to follow up with my prediction on Jeff Boshi, he just got to Pitt State. So I think this is a perfect uh, give Isaac Brown another year. He works out great. If not, <laughs> then Boshi's got two years under his belt at Pitt State. I think it's time to make the move and make make me look like the fantastic sports talk so- show host that we all know that I am. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but uh, that we'll, we'll roll with that. Uh, the final regular season game for the Shockers is on Sunday, by the way, back at home inside Charles Koch Arena against the University of South Florida. Tip-off of that game will be at 1 o'clock on Sunday, and you can watch it on ESPNU. All right, we're going to transition into NFL right now, and I know that this is the, the part of the show that Weston has been waiting to talk about forever and ever. We already did our, our Super Bowl recap episode yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago on the program, but of course, we couldn't have you on and not talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. So before we get into the combine, before we get into the draft, which again, I know you love that that all that stuff too, before we get into any of that, Let's talk about the championship from your perspective. The Chiefs, Super Bowl champs, the second time in four years. Um, just the way that they were able to pull it off against the Eagles. It was remarkable, and uh, I, I know you'll put it in your own words. Yeah, I mean, this Super Bowl, to me, begins the mark of a legacy of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, his numbers, and, and you win one Super Bowl, that I mean, that, that that's a, not really a le- – to me, that's not a legacy. A lot of guys win one getting to the second one and the way he's done it, I, I, I kind of felt like this second Super Bowl was about him, the way he brought the team back, the way it's just you just never feel out of it with this guy. I mean, truly, and it's even it's even crossed sport with him now, like the things he's doing, the mentality, the way he's coming from behind, I mean, it, it feels like a Tiger Woods, like a Michael Jordan, obviously like, like Tom Brady, like that's what you're seeing out of him and – and we've seen that, but to now match it with the championships, I think, 
I think number two is more about the start of his legacy than necessarily that like there was a lot of conversation about the dynasty talk around the chiefs. And uh, I mean, I think two and four years is, I mean, I, I don't know who cares. I, I don't know that that even really matters. I think you start stacking them up and then I think the goal is to have the most, right? I, I mean, I think that's ultimately yeah. the goal. I mean, whether you classify something as a dynasty or not, I mean, I, for whatever reason, that is not an argument that resonates with me, but um, obviously it was, it was so fantastic to see him do it again. Um, just the, the way Brett and Andy Reid, of course, gets credit, but just to give Brett Veach a moment too, right? I mean, the way he put a roster together, you lose Tyreek Hill, and that maybe speaks then more to what Andy and Pat can do together, just scheming up an offense with wide receivers that a lot of guys didn't think were you know, worth anything. That's why they were free agents, why they got let go by their teams, uh, be able to do that. But then on the, on the backside – you know, I mean, look at all the rookies that contributed, all the new guys that contributed to this Super Bowl. I mean, Leo Chanel, who wasn't even really yeah. playing all year, steps up big in the Super Bowl. You got your rookie corners, you know, Watson and Williams. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, uh, are the Greek freak outside on the edge all year. I mean, it was, the way he drafted players. I mean, it's just Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh yeah, round. Yeah, you know, how, how could I forget Isaiah Pacheco and his body? Uh, yeah, you know, his little, yeah. little dance moves he was doing. Um, I mean, just uh, it's so incredible. It's such, such, it feels like such a complete franchise, and and maybe this is where you go with the conversation as opposed to the dynasty thing. The way the model in which it appears the Chiefs are doing it over the last four years feels like what the the, the model that the Patriots had, right? Like everybody wanted to emulate what the Patriots were doing. They tried to do it and it doesn't, didn't work. They didn't have Belgium. Now it kind of feels like there's a shift. I feel like we're starting to, teams are going to go, we need to do what the chiefs are doing. And so and, and certainly we're probably a byproduct of the Patriots and the Patriots were probably a byproduct of, you know, uh, the, the Cowboys or whatever from, from before. But, um, it really feels like that's where we're at with this franchise. And boy, it just seems that, I mean, can you remember the, the, let's see what the 2012 season, I mean, that was, Oh the, yeah. I mean, think the about Javon the Javon Belcher year. The yeah. Javon Belcher year. Think about how that ended. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. that was, that's just 10 years ago, Tommy, to yep. think that that's from that moment right. to where this franchise is now, how much they've won multiple Super Bowls have the future at the position of quarterback have a maybe the maybe well at least in the conversation of greatest coach of all time may not be the but I think it's unreasonable right. to put him in the conversation a GM who's young and, and and maybe resetting the way teams evaluate their rosters it's just it just really is incredible this one just felt really big it really felt like a step forward for the franchise as a whole. And it felt like the start of Patrick Mahomes legacy. There are a lot of teams that have one Super Bowl, And I know Kansas city has two, but like in a, right. in a close period of time, have one Super Bowl, um, And then you get to two and it gets a little bit more rarefied air. And then you get to three and even more so, and just climbing that mountain, same thing with quarterbacks. There's a lot of quarterbacks out there that have won one Super Bowl, Right. And there are names that, have won a Super Bowl that you look back on and you don't think of as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, but they won a Super Bowl. Then you get to two, it's a little bit more rare, and then so on and so forth. 
this is just another step on climbing that mountain of legacy and of dynasty and all of those big hyperbole words that you throw out there as far as, um, you know, superlatives about this franchise, but it's all legitimate. Uh, and I, I think that the biggest difference that we've seen with this team from 2019 to now is they are no longer the hunter. They're the hunted, right? Like you think back to that AFC championship game inside Arrowhead against Tom Brady and the Patriots in 2019, the Patriots, they were the, they were the hunted. Everybody wanted to beat them in Kansas city. They were the young upstart with the young new quarterback who had a cannon for an arm and did these crazy things. Now you fast forward four or five years, they are the kings of the mountain and everybody is trying to give them their best shot. Look at what the division did as far as bringing in people and quarterbacks and coaches and whatnot. They're still doing it. You know, Denver not only brought in Russell Wilson, but they doubled down and brought in Sean Payton to try to beat the Chiefs. Like these teams in the division are doing everything that they can to try to dethrone them. And teams in the conference are doing the same thing with the Bengals and the Bills. And it's an arms race. But Kansas City and what Brett Veach has done in building this team, it's it's just remarkable. Uh, I saw that from the roster this season, there were 24 players that were not on the roster a year ago that were in that wow. were in the Super Bowl this season. Ten of them were rookies, and four of them I think started in the Super Bowl. Which I mean, come on, like if you were to tell me that you were going to have a team full of ten rookies on the on the season, yeah. that's why all these national pundits were picking the Chiefs to miss the playoffs and rebuilding year and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But they forgot Patrick Mahomes, they forgot Andy Reid, they forgot Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, Frank Clark. They forgot all of the weapons that, that Kansas City has, uh, and, and so. With with that and knowing the way that Brett Veach continues to build this franchise, what are you looking for in the draft? Like when you evaluate this season for Kansas City, what do you think are the biggest needs that Kansas City has? See, and that's and that's a great spot where that we're in because people say it a lot in the, out there about their team. Even the, when we said it about the Chiefs in the past, you know, oh, you know, you know. You shouldn't be drafting necessarily for need. You should be, you know, best available. Chiefs are at a different spot where that is kind of true now. Now, yeah. I don't I don't think that – I think Brett Veach, I think that's part of his strategy, but I think he is more of a like, hey, let's fill the gaps. Um, so I, I certainly, obviously, a, a couple of media thoughts you, you, you think. Certainly any a pass rusher, right? I mean, you don't know right now. I, you know, they're in talks about restructuring, bringing Frank Clark back, if there's something that they can do to make that make sense. Ultimately, I think they do, but he's getting older and really wasn't effective in the regular season, and he, he showed up in the playoffs like he's done in the past. And um, as much as I've dogged him on, on this show even, I mean, I think he's earned a spot on the Chiefs for really as long as he wants to be there, assuming that the money can, can make sense. Um but you don't know what you're getting out of him. Carlos Dunlap's a free agent. George Karloftis, you know, had a great year, but you got to have something opposite him. And and I think he was effective being packaged on the field, right? He wasn't. He wasn't an every down guy this year. Um, and, and I think that probably was to his benefit. Now, certainly, you drafted him hoping that he can be that every down guy for you at the five technique or seven technique. But um, so I think edge is certainly something that you're looking at. You always, always in the secondary. Um, mm. you, we we all also know now the Chiefs' model is going to be cheap, 
overperforming talent at the wide receiver position. A lot of times that's through the draft. We'll see what they do in free agency, but I do think I think wide receiver gets addressed at some point. Um, potentially, you know, safety as well. And Juan Thornhill, I think his contract is up. So potentially finding someone there. And they have a couple young guys, Brian Cook. I think they like him. Uh, but that's not to say that uh, they wouldn't. I, I think they still probably bring somebody in or draft somebody. Um, and then you're always looking for offensive line depth. They're in a pretty good spot in the offensive line, but really I'm thinking a swing tackle is probably specifically what they're looking for. I think the core, you know, Tooney, Humphrey, and Trey Smith, pretty locked up. You're, you got them for a bit. You're not too worried there. I think Wiley potentially is going to leave in free agency. You're either going to tag Orlando Brown or get, get a deal done. You hope Brown will play on the franchise tag. But if not, either way, you're still probably looking for his future replacement if you can't get that long-term deal done. So a swing tackle, somebody that can play left or right, uh, potentially could could be the move. So I think those are kind of the positions that I, I think you're looking to address in, in the draft. Yeah, you know, I wonder what the wide receiver room ends up looking like for Kansas City next season. Uh, it was a completely rebuilt wide receiver room. This year, and bringing in veterans like Marquise Valdez-Scantling and Juju Smith-Schuster, both of them uh, at times uh, stepped up for Kansas City. And Juju, especially in the second half of the uh, of, of the Super Bowl, and then Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a good playoff run. Uh, I wonder what the room will look like. I wonder if Juju will come back on a on a small one-year deal. It sounds like he's interested in maybe doing that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you look at guys like Sky Moore and McCole Hardman and what will the future hold for them uh, with this team and, and their production, their utilization, all of that. And then I wonder, I'm going to throw this out at you. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, this came out this afternoon uh, and I don't know this person. Apparently he's an NFL insider, uh, Benjamin Albright, uh, and he covers the Cardinals. He's saying that Kansas city is the primary suitor for Deandre Hopkins uh, that he doesn't think Arizona can get a first rounder for Hopkins, but they can probably get a second rounder. Do you like that play of trading a potential second round pick for a DeAndre Hopkins? It, well, it, the th- here's the thing: it's not um, it, it's not just trading a second round. But would I trade a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins if that was the end of the evaluation? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, He's still right. a top five wide receiver in football. But it's the contract. So to me, that I, yeah. I don't understand how that makes any sense. And I was trying to pull up his contract real quick, but the Chiefs, I mean, they literally just shipped off Tyreek Hill. Why would they turn around and trade right. for a you know big money contract? And let's see, he's so he's due in 2023. He's due 19 and a half million dollars. Um, do 15 million in 2024, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, yeah, with significant cap it, so you're you're on the books for those next two years. That's actually, I mean, that's pretty high. 20 million this year, that's pretty darn high in 15 million. That, that just doesn't seem to me to fit at all with what the Chiefs have shown they're doing, with what they've shown uh, that they can, what they just did with Tyreek Hill. Uh, going back to the, the current room. In an ideal world, and I'm not predicting this will happen, if it was me playing, if Brett Beach let me just make a couple moves, I would probably <laughs> – I'd run wild with that thing. That's a, that's a dream. Yeah, no, I'm sure you uh, would. <laughs> I, uh, but anyways, I, I would – my first move would probably be to let Marquez Valdez-Scantling go. Uh, he, had a, he had a good game in the playoffs. Other than that, I think he 
underperformed based on what we're paying him. It's not to say that I don't think Marquez Valdez scaling has a spot. It's that I'm saying I don't think he has a spot at what we're paying him. I mean, he's due $9 million this year. Um, he's only a dead cap of four. So to let him go is not too bad. You save 5 million in cap that gives you the room to then bring, bring back Juju, maybe even get a two year deal done with Juju. Probably not though. I do think Juju probably played himself into a decent contract. I think probably the only discount we get is probably at a one year where he's still puts himself in a position to get him maybe a good contract right. after that. Uh, but I would love to see Juju come back, probably let Marquez Valdez scaling go. Um, uh, the way I've heard Travis talk about, I've heard Patrick talk about, I've heard Coach Reed talk about, Sky Moore, they love this guy. Yeah. I, I'm guessing it probably is just a playbook of rookie growing pains. I mean, not every wide, rookie wide receiver just makes it happen the first year. They clearly... And they were throwing him out in punt return, by the way, when he had no yeah. history doing that, no experience uh, doing it. They wanted That's to a big spot to be in. Yeah, yeah. And, and it didn't work. And he, you know, I think he got, I think he fumbled and muffed a few yeah. different times and... You know, that's going to hurt a kid's confidence when he's a rookie, and I think he slowly got that back during the playoffs. Yeah, but but I do think it's a position for sure you're going to see. I think they, I think you see a wide receiver go in the first three rounds for the Chiefs. Right. Um, I'd love oh, and guy. by the way, Kadarius Tony. We haven't even talked yeah, about Kadarius Tony yet. Exactly right. Oh, well, my they, God. Yeah. And what they traded for him, I mean, just forget yeah. about the production you saw. What they traded for him clearly tells you they are going to try to – Yep. Fe- feature him to some degree. I mean, the way and the ball's going to get spread around just the way we're doing our offense now. Um, but certainly they have him being a big part. But they're going to bring in a guy, I think a guy like maybe like Jalen Hyatt out of Tennessee. He's probably going to go at the back end of the first round. Um, another a free agent name that I think would be interesting, um, and it kind of matches with what the Chiefs have done with some of these wide receivers in the past in the pre market is Kenny Galladay. So he just recently got cut by the Giants, hasn't done anything for them the last two years, been hurt off and on, had a couple monster years with the Lions. I mean, people were calling him like baby Megatron, right? He was, you know, because yeah, he had yeah. that talent. He seems like the perfect project to me for Andy Reid. I mean, you saw what they did, you know, they kicked the tires on Josh Gordon. They bring in, you know, they've done that with some of the pass rushers, like, they're not afraid to bring in a guy who may be quote unquote, you know, a locker room problem or hasn't quite performed because they know what coach Reed can get out of those kind of guys. Right. He's going to be a, a vet league minimum type deal. I mean, he hasn't done anything the last few years, so he's not going to cost nothing. I think that's a pretty interesting name to watch. Now, maybe they sign him and it doesn't turn out to be anything, but I, that is a prediction I'm making that, that the chiefs make a move there. But, but yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a big change in the wide receiver room. I, I think the running back position is going to be interesting too. I'd love to see them bring back Jarek McKinnon. Um, but I don't, I don't know. McKinnon's probably, he's probably played himself this season into getting one. I mean, and with his age, I think probably one last decent deal. I couldn't blame him if he went to go get that, and I don't think yeah. the Chiefs will pay him that with, you know, having Clyde on the books probably gets cut, but then also obviously Pacheco. So if McKinnon walks and Clyde gets cut, uh, running back again in the later rounds, I mean, <laughs> now what you've seen Beach can do with some late-round running back picks, no reason to think it won't happen, you know, that that would happen with the first five rounds, but – well, it's funny. We always talk about all the great things that Brett Veach has done, and it's true. He's an incredible general manager. Um, big swing and a miss with Clyde Edwards E. Lair in the first round. Uh, not, yeah. not a not a great Chiefs tenure, uh, and, and I would certainly – and I don't think he'll do it again, but I, I certainly wouldn't uh, draft a running back in the first round. Yeah. 
probably ever again. That's probably not anything I would do. Before we move on from uh, the NFL, I want to pick your brain on this because I know you're an NFL draft expert in your own mind. (laughs) Yes. In your mind right now, what is going to happen with the number one pick? Will it be traded? Uh, If so, who's it going to be traded to? Is Bryce Young going to be the number one guy? If so, what team is going to pick him up? Will Chicago trade Justin Fields potentially and draft Bryce Young? What do you think is going to happen with that number one pick? Boy, uh, so I think no doubt for sure. First first pick gets traded. Uh, Zero zero doubt in my mind that that the Bears move out of that spot. Um, I heard an interesting theory, and it was purely a theory, that the Bears could look at trading out of the first round spot gaining whatever picks they can get for that, and then also trading Justin Fields and gaining all the picks they could get there because the consensus is that the best two quarterbacks right now are juniors in college and Caleb Williams and Drake May, and that those are franchise-changing quarterbacks, whereas you're not getting any of the hype out of that with this year's class. Um, End of the day, I think Bryce Young probably goes first. I think you probably look at a, I, I, the name I keep hearing, and, and it makes sense as the Colts move up. I mean, they they've they can have continuously kicked the tires on old, washed up quarterbacks. I think Ursay is one of those owners that is a little more hands on. I think he's probably told them, "Go get us a guy." Um, with that being said, I do think so. The combine's going on right now. I think Will Levis might be the guy that ends up being the best quarterback out of this class and may end up impressing teams enough at the combine to make that move. I know there's a lot of a lot of conversation about um, so his junior year had great numbers, senior year dropped off significantly, had you know quite a few interceptions, those kind of things. And it's like, well yeah, how can you you just don't see that out of a guy who ends up being a number one pig. You know, they don't do that in college. Like, obviously, like, you think of a Peyton Manning, he had a terrible rookie year, but his college numbers are all, you know, great. So it's someone, the suggestion being inaccuracy and those kind of things. That Kentucky roster was atrocious. So yeah. to expect him to, yes, quarterback leads that spot in its most important field, but if you've got wide receivers not running the right route, not reading a zone and sitting down in a zone where they're supposed to be, your, your quarterback's going to make mistakes. So anyways, I, I say all that to say I think Will Levis potentially could be. We, we've been hearing some rumbling about Anthony Richardson. Um, I don't see that. I know he's going to have incredible athletic ability, and that might woo some teams thinking that they've got a, you know, a Justin Fields, uh, Lamar Jackson-type project in the waiting. I don't, I don't think somebody rolls the dice on, on him at one, even though there has been some buzz. But I think end of the day, it's probably Bryce Young. I, I don't think probably C.J. Stroud, maybe Will Will Levis. But I think the Bears trade out. Um, I don't I, I don't think they trade Justin Williams. So I think they trade back to like three or four and take like Will Anderson or something like that. Um, but uh, I, before we move on, I know I, you, you probably do. I, I do a whole solo podcast. I wouldn't even need anybody else around. Just me just rambling <laughs> into a mic about the NFL draft. Um, two names I'm going to give you for the Chiefs that I really yeah. like, or three names, three names that I'm going to give you for the Chiefs that I really like to watch, um, and not necessarily a first-round pick. Uh, wide receiver out of Nebraska, Trey Palmer, a really, really athletic guy. I think he goes a little bit later just because Nebraska didn't do anything. I think he kind of fits with what the Chiefs play. I mean, he's got high-end, high-end speed. I, I really like that guy. Um, Sidney Brown is a safety out of Illinois, kind of that same – um, you know, really kind of athletic freak. You didn't really see, I mean, kind of tucked away at Illinois where he didn't maybe get the hype physical 
in-the-box type safety. I think he pairs well next to Justin Reed as we have that hole with potentially Juan Thornhill leaving. Um, and then when we talk about edge rusher, a, th- a name that I think a lot of local fans would be interested in is uh, Felix Anudike Uzama. Pretty sure I got okay. that right. Defensive end yeah. from Kansas State. Uh, really right. fits that mold, and I, I did see that he, he had an informal meeting with the Chiefs. He's from Blue Springs, Missouri. I think, well, I don't think Brett Veach is or you know Clark Hunt is going to pull the trigger because of that. I think they do like that. I mean, they've drafted Nick Bolton, the local guy, you know, and I, I think that's a fun addition to it. So when he's already a great talent, I think he really fits with what they're looking for to replace with um, – it, with Frank Clark and supplement with Greg George Carlotta. So those are the three names I would really keep an eye on that I think really could be on, on the Chiefs board. Um, and then the drafts in Kansas City this year, baby. So I yeah. will be there. Uh, might spend some money on uh, one of the little uh, VIP tables. I don't know yet, but uh, super excited nice. about that. Already took off work and everything. Are you, uh, are you planning on uh, booing Roger Goodell relentlessly <laughs> during the course of the draft? <laughs> You know, I haven't, I haven't made that decision yet. I've never really been a Roger Goodell hater, but it's just fun. It's just a fun tradition, right? It's what you're supposed to do. You go to the draft, you boo Roger Goodell. That's right. Even if he hasn't done anything, you still boo him. That's I, just kind of the way that it works for him. But yeah, yeah it's going to be a blast having uh, the, the NFL draft in Kansas City and especially knowing that it's the world champion Chiefs. It basically right. hosting the NFL draft. It'll be pretty cool. And we'll see what Kansas city does with all of that before we let you go. And before we wrap up the podcast, uh, Weston, uh, we, we would be remiss to not ask you about Andale. We have not talked about Andale on this podcast in forever. In fact, I'm pretty sure that Blake has a, an Andale ban on the show. Uh, <laughs> ever since you left, but I will temporarily lift that Andale ban. If there's anything going on, which I'm sure there is in the world of Andale sports. Well, I mean, I haven't been on since Andale won the three, a state championship rolled through everybody set all sorts of records. I think they have the second longest winning streak in the nation. If I remember right. So, I mean, what more is there to be said about Andale football? And then we can move over to the wrestling mats Andale wrestling just won a four, a state championship. Uh, we got an Eck kid, and there's a ton of – oh, Owen Eck. Uh, there's probably okay. like six Eck kids on the team. But Owen Eck, uh, three-time state champion, and he's a junior. So next year we'll be going for the uh, the perfect four-peat. But Andale just uh, – I mean, and then we know we're coming up on track season. So, man, I wish Blake was here to just really hear all this stuff. Hopefully he <laughs> listens. Um you know, and I'll make sure to catch him up uh, on on the back end <laughs> on everything. And then the other thing that I and he would be so mad if he knew we were going back to back on this first Andale. And now we're going to talk Southwestern yes. a little bit, because, of course, the Mound Builders, uh, the men's basketball team, they win the KCAC championship, the championship game earlier this week at Hartman Arena. Uh, they beat Bethel College in the championship matchup. And uh, so the Mound Builders will be on their way to the NAIA national tournament. I'm not sure. I don't know if they've released seating. If they have, I haven't seen it. I don't know where they'll be in all of that. But uh, congratulations to Coach Matt O'Brien and his squad for uh, winning the, the KCAC championship. And uh, that'll be fun. So, of course, that's the, the most recent thing with Southwestern. I don't know if you have followed any other sporting accomplishments down there. Well, Tommy, just to, to complete the annoy Blake trifecta, let's talk about me a little bit for a second. Okay. Blake loves when I talk about me. Yeah. Uh, and to tie all three together, I was actually at a wedding last weekend. Shout out mm. to my, my guy, Macklin News. Um, 
So Southwestern wedding, saw Coach Coach Crandall, got to have a good old time with the boys. But the wedding was actually in my hometown, in Andel country. So my God, Weston Mills was just living the dream wow. last weekend. And I, wow. I honestly, I just, again, wish Blake was here to, to hear about this. I should have sent him some pictures or something. I, I don't know, but man. Did you get like a, uh, a motorcade to come in? <laughs> like, did you have, you know, security protecting you, you know, celebrity coming back home to to Andale for, and of course, all the Southwestern people, oh, yeah. the Andale people, you're all together. I mean, everybody just basking in the glow of Weston Mills. Tommy, I'm a man of the people. No need for that. You ask me, I'm, I'm here for the pictures, the autographs, whatever y'all need. I'm, I'm here. I'm happy to do it. Yeah, if anybody's wondering, uh, the, the wedding that he's talking about was the one that I didn't go to that was going to because I was busy throwing up my guts the entire weekend. So um, otherwise I would have been there to uh, ask you for your autograph as well, but I unfortunately wasn't, but it sounded like a great time. That's going to wrap things up on keeper of the games, this edition of the show and uh, man, Weston, we really appreciate having you back on. It's been too long. And I wasn't sure when we asked you if you would come back and, and host, I, I didn't, I didn't know if you would, I thought maybe you would thought, Oh, uh, that chapter of my life is behind me. Don't know if I can come back and do it. Now that you have, we, we're going to have to have you back again. Like this just can't be a once and, and one time only kind of thing. Going to have to make it happen more often. Hey, I, I like it. I will say this though. I, when I agreed to it and, you know, I was uh, getting ready for the show and then about 15 minutes before I thought, I don't know where my microphone phone is. And it took me, <laughs> I didn't know if I'd like what I'd done with that. I like, did I yeah. forget that I shipped it out or something? found it all good but no it's, it's great to be back it's it's fun fun to always get to sit down and um you know it, it, for any of the office fans out there if you remember the episode where um ryan talks about having he opened up a word document for creed that's just like creedsthoughts.com yeah. that's yeah. been me with my sports takes i've had nowhere to, mm. it's just been typing right. into the abyss I, so they've been bottled up so to have you know an audience a little platform here to, to put it out i think it's, it's it's good for for my soul so i uh, appreciate the invite back and, and happy to come back on anytime i can you know maybe we uh, will try to find if there's a time around the draft or something to have you back to talk a little bit yep. of your draft uh, takes and, and by that point blake should be back on the show and we'll have a, a good old time, the three of us maybe talking about that. So we'll we'll check our schedules and see if that'll work with uh, your busy world, and we'll go from there. But until then, we appreciate you being on the show, and we appreciate all of you for listening to Keeper of the Games. You can always find the show at cogsports.com, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the places that you get your podcasts. And, of course, you can watch the video anytime uh, on YouTube. And, of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at CogPod. So until next time, for Blake Cripps, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor. Thanks so much for listening to Keeper of the Games. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod.